This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Started ministering here in Utah in 1994. And so the first weekend we were here, uh, immediately we went straight to the streets and um, started walking downtown back in the day. For those that were here, you remember the cruising dates, the cruising all going on on state and on 4th South, all in that area. And so a lot of people back in the day out there, and we were going out there and start about 10 o'clock at night, and we'd go to about 2 in the morning. We called it our street reach, and it was just basically loving on all the people that were out there. The bars would let out about 2 in the morning, and uh, there was a lot of people, a lot of lives. And that was, again, from the first moment in the month of April of 94, and been hitting it ever since. Now, my wife and I have been ministering prior to that, in Durango, Colorado is where we started. And then from there, after four years there, went to Albuquerque. And we were there one year. And, you know, sometimes you go somewhere thinking things are all going to be all that. And it don't end up being like that. Well, that's what happened to us. So we ended up here in Utah. And it just came to one of those places that as we came here, I really remember standing on my brother-in-law's roof. And as we were overlooking the valley, he was working on his roof. I wanted to go say hi to him. We were just, we just arrived. I got up there. He goes, so what do you think God's going to do with you? I said, I'm not sure if this is where God would have us. I go, but I'll find out this weekend. And then just that weekend, we went out to the streets and saw what we saw on the streets. And we're like, okay, I know we belong here. Uh, there was a lot of people that just questioned us all the time. Why? You're a pastor? What are you doing out here at night, I go, well, you're out here, I'm out here. And we would, for the homeless, we'd bring socks and food, sandwiches and uh, candy. You know, a lot of, man, they, people love candy. And so for, the, um, for many of the ladies that walked the streets at night, we would bring roses and we would bless them. And um, it was just, it was, they, they took the socks too. You know, it was just something where God just did some big things. But not everybody, not everybody wanted us out there. I remember one particular night, uh, it was about, about 2.15 or so and in the morning, and uh, we had just shared the gospel to some guys coming out of a bar right on 4th and State, some of the bars there, and right out of that alley, and uh, some of the people walking by didn't like it, and they were cussing us out as, what are you doing here, man? You don't belong here, you Christians, this and this and this, and then they, they took off. Well, as we were walking down the street, we got to State Street and 8 South, for those of you that know the area. As we're walking, a car pulls up right up to us and says, get out of here, you Christians, pulls out a gun, shoots it, and blows out the windshield right next to us in the car. Now, the guy that I was with, he was really scared, and he said, are we going to stop? I go, no, they missed. Let's keep going, you know, <laughs> and so this is the mentality. I, heard, I thought I was in a courageous church, right? This is a courageous church. Okay. This is the kind of, you guys say, that ain't courageous, that's dumb, man, you know, what are you doing? Yeah, that's a fine line, right? Yeah, so we, you know, from walking the streets, as we got to know the community, I lived in the Glendale neighborhood, and as we got to know the neighborhood, you know, the Bible talks about loving your neighbor. Well, our neighborhood there in Glendale started changing rapidly. We started receiving a lot of um, refugees, and for those of you that remember when the uh, lost boys of Sudan uh, came in. 
And so it, they were living in the apartments, literally right within our neighborhood. So wanted to reach out to them. I shared, then we were youth pastors here in Sandy, actually. And we would reach the Midville area, all this area here. But I'd go back to Glendale. That's where I lived. So it was kind of the idea of, man, i got to reach my own neighborhood. And so it started off that way of seeing what we can do to reach out to those in need around us. Well, there were these two tall Sudanese gentlemen, and they told us their story, how there was about 100 refugee boys, lost boys that were here that were in refugee camps, shared their story, how they went from camp to camp, how Muslim terrorists had come into their country and gave them the three options. And the three options was you convert, you leave, or you die. Well, this was their land, and due to all of our missionaries across denominations that had gone and served in Africa, many of the African countries were Christian, uh, Christian countries. And so with that being the case, they said, this is our home, we're not leaving, and we're not converting. But they were farmers, so many of them died. And they killed the men, the women, and the little girls after they did brutal things to them. But the boys they kept... And they kept them so they could convert them into soldiers. And all these little boys. And the story of these two refugee guys saying to me that in 96, how they were being forced to walk barefooted and they had to cross the Nile River. And as they were crossing the Nile River, the older boys told the younger boys, I'm going to go first, but don't turn around. You just keep running. 9,000 boys died from crocodiles that day. The ones that made it were a lot of the boys that came with us. To hear those stories, to hear how, you know, you think about life and how bad I have it, then you hear that, and they have no family. They had nothing. So that was our first endeavor to see what can we do to rally clothes and furniture and food and help tangible things. So we started there with our ministry called the Utah Dream Center. So when I come on a video and I'll say, this is Alfred with the Utah Dream Center, it's because I'm actually ministering in the Glendale neighborhood. But outside of the neighborhood, then we started what we call Synergy in Action Network. There were many pastors that came to me and asking, how did you do all that you do with the outreach? So we started teaching them and helping them. We started focusing on targeting and doing what we can to work together. So Synergy actually started with us in Durango, Colorado, carried it to Albuquerque. It was more of a motto. It was a, it was a banner of life for us. It was how we thought, Synergy in action. Synergy means to work together, but we put in action purposely because how many times have you said, let's get together, and then nothing happens? Okay, if we're going to get together, something's going to come out of this, and we're going to work together. I realize I can't rally churches when it comes to doctrine. Tried that, ain't going to happen. I can't rally them when, what type of worship service to have, what time, what night, where to have it. Can't, can't gather them. But I realize there is one area that will rally everyone together. And that's the area, as Candace mentioned in Matthew. In the story there, he talks about that when he was hungry, you fed him. And when he was thirsty, you gave him the drink. And when he was naked, you clothed him. And when he was a stranger, you welcomed him. And when he was sick, you took care of him. 
And when he was in prison, you visited him. The disciples were confused and they wondered, when were you ever any of that? And he says, how you treat the least of my brethren is how you treat me. Is how you look at me. When you really get into that, you realize that our moments at the altar are powerful. And the Lord loves that when we worship him and we honor him. But when you get down to where a tangible mentality, a focus of, Lord, I'm going to serve you. He says, do it in these ways. So what we did is we put that dialogue into five categories. We have food distribution. And the food distribution started off with those two guys. And it just took off from there. It's been 22 years that we've been doing this particular thing as far as in Utah since 94. But the cool thing is, as we started helping, it took 10 years for us to do one location in Glendale, what we call the Dream Center. It took 10 years to develop the one. We had multiple services in different languages. I mean, imagine the neighborhood, 117 languages that come out of one neighborhood. It's a powerful, awesome neighborhood. Some of you, I want to say thank you. You came out and you helped us. Excuse me, one second. I'm not sick. You might say, sure. No, I'm not. Um, in a moment, I'm going to share really why I'm here is to say thank you again. But I, had a, I was on a ventilator because of COVID. I was in the hospital for 45 days and 25 days on a ventilator. And when they removed the ventilator, it ripped my vocal cord on the left side. That was, in two weeks, it'll be a year that I went in the hospital. It's taken this long for my voice to even come back. And it's gradually coming back. So, thank you. Appreciate you. You're awesome. Uh, I want to say thank you guys for those of you that came and helped us with our Thanksgiving outreach. That neighborhood, Glendale, that's my heart. I challenge every church to adopt a Title I school. That's the school we adopted. We've done a lot of outreach there. We did Bible studies on campus using their classrooms through um, Children's Evangelism Fellowship. Um, I got the Nike Corporation to come in and got every kid a pair of shoes. Right? Um, the school asked us, hey, could you help us pass out flyers? Let, let the parents know to register their kids early. I said, I got a better idea. How soon do you register? They said about a month before school, like about now they'll start registering. They go, because it's a nightmare. All these kids show up. We didn't even know they were coming. And we got no books, no teachers. We got nothing. So we decided one great idea, and the Lord just popped it in my head, and that was on the first day and on the first day only. Let's register as many kids as we can. Make an incentive. If they come, they'll get a free backpack filled with school supplies. And he got excited, the principal, and we'll throw a carnival for them that night. And he goes, I don't have money for a carnival or backpack. I go, neither do I. I go, I'm just talking out loud, you know. And he goes, Really? So, sure enough, they average in the first week of open registration, about 5% of the school would register. But this time, when we did it, 
85% of the schools showed up for their backpack. Over 600 kids showed up to the after school, or night wasn't school yet, but the evening carnival, free food and rides and the whole thing. That started so long ago, and now it's a part of their budget, and now it's a part of their thing. I was able to go back and emcee it again, and so it's really cool. Now they've got like two, 3,000 people coming to their carnival. The idea was to change the mentality. The kids in that neighborhood, when you talk to them, hey, you look ready for school? I hate school. School, blank, 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 blank. Don't fill in the blanks. You know what I mean? Just like you knew what it meant. It was like, no. But now the idea of going back to school was a whole different mentality. But the beauty of it was, it wasn't that I got corporations and businesses to help make that happen. There were so many churches that came in and rallied. And we had this huge banner. We want to say thank you. And I got on the mic. And I want to thank Courageous Church and this church and that church. And, and everyone's like, churches did this for us? It was mind-blowing that they would think a church or a ministry would be willing to go into the school and just love on their kids and be there for them. So in saying all that, the focus of our ministry, I haven't even started preaching yet. Candace said I had two hours. So, hey. And so the water's getting warm, so it takes a while. But for that, who's getting baptized? Yeah, there you go. We want it warm for you, okay? All right. No, let me just share really quick. Um, so with our ministry, we put all that dialogue into five areas. So food distribution. We started with the two. We're now serving corporately with everybody on the team, every church that's ministering. And you guys were a part of that at one time here and there. And we plan on in the future, right? We talk about the future. So we're serving about 15,000 families now a month with a box of food going. We're doing this every day. I was hoping to get here by 4.30, but one of my drivers couldn't pick up from our Ogden location today. So I had to go run to Ogden to go pick up that food, deliver that food, and get it, get it ready for tomorrow's outreach. And so we're doing a lot, about seven outreaches every Saturday. And just every day, there's food distribution. Now, from Brigham City to Provo. And we started off with a trailer and a van, a minivan. And now there's over 15 trucks that we have that are like 27-footers. And we have forklifts and refrigerated containers. It's mind-blowing to see what God is doing. And I, I asked prayer from our pastors over here and said, thank you for praying for me. Um, guys, I'm going to now general give you an idea to pray. Something was presented to me this morning of a possibility. You see, to drive the trucks that we have, again, if you can imagine a 27-footer, they're pretty large. You don't need a CDL to drive those, as long as it's 26,000 pounds or less. But I had a driver of a truck comes up to me at the church I was at this morning, and he says, look, I'm retiring, and I want to, uh, I want to sell you my truck. I said, brother, I, I, don't have, I, know, I know trucks like his would go 50,000 easy. And I imagine there's trucks for sale now due to the high prices for diesel. But he goes, I'm retiring. I believe in what you're doing. We've actually used this truck to haul food for us. And he goes, I want it. He goes, and I'll sell it to you for 10000 I said, okay, this is the game breaker for it would. If I'm now getting it into semis, which has been part of the dream to distribute more food, I've got companies out of state that have said, do you have semis? Do you have warehouse? Do you have refrigeration? 
But see, we don't. What we do is every day pick up and every day deliver, same day. So food, we have refrigerated trucks, but the food gets delivered the same day. But to get semis, that means now more trailers. We need a warehouse. We need refrigeration. So you're the first. Man, talk about, talk to the courageous people first, right? Talk to the people of faith here. Help me pray. If this is God's will, then, you see, if it's God's will, doors are going to open. And I will never, listen to me, hear me please, I will never complain about the gas prices again. Because if it's really God, why would I worry then about the prices of fuel? If God is saying getting semis for what we're looking at, why am I, you know, over a few cents over a thing? And you're like, it's not a few cents, it's like two dollars more, you know. I know what it is. It's killing me, man. But... I told my wife, if this happens, I go, Anna, we can't ever complain again. She goes, I know, I know, I know, I know. Because, hey, we've been there, done that. I'm not perfect like you guys that never complain. I'm just saying, <laughs> this is when you're pumping in $300 into a tank, you know, for the week. For one truck, we have 15. It's a lot of money, man. And so I'm like, okay, can't worry about that. Not anymore. It kind of goes with what I'm going to share. So food distribution, one. Clothing distribution, another. Actually, we started with the kid-to-kid store right next to the original theater where you guys started. Yeah, there in Holiday. We started there, and we pick up from kid-to-kid stores. So when you guys are ready to distribute children's clothing, we've got so much clothing. Children's clothing is gold. To a family that's trying to raise a bunch of kids and, and quality clothing, we give it away. We never sell anything. We give it away free. Okay, and so there's those two. Those are obvious ones. But then he said, when I was a stranger, you welcomed me. What we prayed about what we would do in that category is helping adults to get back on track. There's a lot of churches that are doing awesome things to help adults get back on track, help them with their finances, Financial Peace University, maybe celebrate recovery, dealing with addiction, maybe ESL, GED. I can go on and on and on. Churches all over the place are doing that. And we were just trying to encourage churches to keep doing that and going from there. The next one, he says, when I was sick, you took care of me. I had no clue what we could do because I have no medical experience. But I had a dream, though. I had a dream. And I had a 31-foot trailer sitting in my driveway. You guys, you got to think, and I'm going to share with you in a moment, I'm a very simple guy. If the Lord says it, I believe it. I'm not much of a counselor. I tell people if they want counseling from me, go to the altar, pray, whatever God says, I agree. And then we go from there, you know. And so, so I always guide everyone to our professional counselors because I'm like, I, I can't help you. You know, let's, let's, see, let's see what God can do through someone else who's gifted in that, in that talent and that ability. But this one medically, I would put my hand on that trailer outside my house on the driveway, and I say, God, please make this into a mobile medical unit. Because I could get food to people, I can get clothes to people, I could have the right classes for the people, but if they're sick, they're not coming out, and they're not going to the doctor. I got to get something that's free or very affordable. I got to get the doctors to them. So it was a dream, but I learned. You share your dream. You share the vision. I've learned also, stop sharing the need. The Lord knows your need. He knows the need before you know your need. But share the vision. 
When you share the vision, people are willing to say, I want to be a part of that. It says that in Habakkuk 2.2, thus saith the Lord, write the vision down plainly on the tablets so that those that read it will run with it. Verse 3, even though it linger, wait for it. It will come in its due time. So I had a dream. Make this into a mobile medical unit. A whole year went by. Then I'm at a funeral. I see a friend of mine, and the guy asked me, which a lot of people do, what are you working on now? Because I'm always creating things and believing for things. I go, I want to see a mobile medical unit. And I'm that crazy guy just talks out loud. I want to see a mobile medical He goes, I'm in the medical field. I, go, I had no idea. Last I saw him, he was a school administrator. And he, I had no idea he was in that. He goes, tell me about your dream. So I share the dream. He goes, I want to run that. I said, praise God, there you go. It's all yours. And so created a program called Utah Partners for Health. And so now, 15 years later, we have medical, dental, optical, behavioral health, and got approved for a pharmacy. Now we have multiple trucks or medical trucks and optical trucks. Plus, we have three locations here in West Jordan and Midvale. And so, yeah, and it's either free or very, very, very inexpensive. Doctors visit, 20 bucks. You know, and these are doctors from the hospital. So it's the idea of just believing and believing and praying, God, you said, this is your vision. This is your, what was my job? Proclaim the vision. Share the vision. Not the need. You're like, oh, come and give to our poor babies. They haven't had food. They have, no. People could see that they're hurting. People could see that the neighborhood that they're in is challenging. People know that. If they do give anything, it's out of a token of a dollar. Here you go. Or I gave at the office. But when you share vision, I tested this way back in the beginning when I was challenged to just share vision. What are you going to do about it? So I was getting my oil changed on Redwood Road and 35th South, the oil place right there. I'm not sure which company it's now. I go in. I love it when you go into an oil place and there's no cars. You know, you're just driving right in. I go right in and I sit down. The guy's at the counter. Oh, we'll be with you in a minute. He's going to take care of you. Yeah. The guy's working on it outside. He's right there. And he looks at me and he goes, he goes, uh, so what do you do? This is my moment. I said, God help me. So I shared. 15 minutes later, the guy comes out. Your car's done. I said, okay, well, how much? He goes, you're not going to pay. He just looks down. He goes, you're not going to pay. I got this. I got this. You see, not once did I ask for a penny. Not once did I plea to help the poor little kids, the refugee children. I didn't. I shared vision on how we're going to reach the most beautiful kids in the entire world. And I go, we're going to love on these kids. And this guy, he goes, I'm going to write you a check. He wrote me a check for 50 bucks from his business. He goes, I want to be a part of that. I was like, I walked out of there. I was like, okay, God, thank you. This really, really works. Listen, listen. I'm, okay, I'm nuts, man. I'm talking about everywhere. My kids, the week following, they're all getting their teeth cleaned, four of them. It was our time. My little one, she was four years old. Daddy, hold my hand, go with me. So I go in. And the dentist, right there, getting to know the new guy. And he's right there. He looks, so what do you do? Man, I got a half hour with this guy, you know. So... I spent two hours the whole time with every kid. I stayed there talking, sharing. As I went to go pay my deductible, my part, 
He goes, no, 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 no. We got this. I didn't ask. Would you cover for my story to you? Would you pay? No. He goes, I got this. And then he goes, write him a check for $250. We want to be a part. And he goes, and for any kid that you work with that needs dental, that can't afford, that man has poured tens of thousands of dollars reaching the kids from that community and helping those kids. This is awesome, guys. Now, it says, write the vision down because God's vision through you, through me, write it down. But it says, and those that hear it, those that read it, will run with it. There's the key. Your vision, what God put in each one of you, every one of you has a dream and a vision. There's no doubt. It's biblical. Every one of you. And God is going to speak through you. But it won't happen because you're doing it. Well, I got to focus on me and what God said to me. It don't work that way. That's not the body of Christ. The body of Christ is you share your need. You share what God's doing in you. And the next thing you know, okay, Jason, I'm going to share with you all about what I'm doing. And you share with me all that you're doing. And I look at you and I say, man, I want to be a part of that. And I do. I want to be a part of Courageous at whatever level I can to help. And I know these two have already said, Alfred, we're on board with you. Now, can you see how this works? If I'm willing to give him 100%, and he's willing to give me 100%, and then we're giving Candace 100%, then us three are here are going on to each one of you. This is flipping the script. Usually it's come and help me with my vision. Maybe one day we'll get to you. And then why do people burn out? They burn out because they're serving, 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 but no one's fulfilling the dream they have. So they move on. But when you're able to be one, receiving, giving, receiving, giving, yes, of the Lord, but at the same time of the vision and the plan that God has. I still haven't started preaching yet. This is all a commercial, guys. Okay, the last one. He says, when I was in jail, you visited me. When I was in jail, you visited me. I didn't know what to do with that one because I, I realized that we have tremendous jail ministry in Utah. Okay, the Good News Club. If you guys are Good News Jail Ministry, if you guys ever could be a part of that, jump on board. And prison, the whole thing. But I did a different twist on that concept. How many of you have ever said about a particular neighborhood, about a particular group of people, kids primarily, and you said, someone better go in there and help those kids before they end up what? Dead or in jail. Ever thought of it? You ever said it? Maybe they were talking about you. I don't know. You know, someone better help them before they end, because of their choices, because of the way they're living. Look at the way they look at them. They're going to end up dead or in jail. Can we visit them before they go to jail? Can we help them before? So the idea for us was helping churches, helping churches create opportunities to reach youth and children with after-school programs and helping on the weekends and just getting out the word who's doing what to reach kids. So another phase that we're targeting, guys, and this is the end of sharing about what we're doing and praying about the direction here. And yeah, the trucks is great for the one part of the whole ministry. But the ability to get on a multimedia blitz I've got an, I, I just partnered with a, a team called Dual Pixel. These guys heard about what we're doing, and they want to help us. That's why I got to talk to you guys later. They want to help us because what they want to do, 
We want to create a platform. You guys, tell me if this happened in Montana or not. We want to create a platform. You guys tell me if this is happening here. We're evangelical churches, and we stay in our lane of outreach. And we promote outreach big time. Who's doing what? So you, it becomes interactive, and you hit the website, and it says right there, boom, Courageous Church, or Salt Lake, new church, new location. We just highlight everything that's going on, everything that's happening by outreaches and ministry. When everyone starts working together and starts seeing what each other are doing, not a platform. You can dial 211, and you get the state information, and they help you. I'm talking a way to even put the word out, the Christian concerts that are coming out. I know there are people that do that, but I'm talking of one place where everything is in one area and just doing from YouTube to blogging to just you name it, getting the word out there for the whole state. But here's the cool thing. I've got guys now in Nevada and as Candace said in Colorado, and they're like, why only Utah? Why not folk? Now this thing is going, I know it's going to go all 50. I know it is. And what we're creating, and eventually an app, where this thing is going, I need tech guys that are savvy, that understand, and I need beautiful faces, not an old tired one, that can get up behind a mic and just get out there and say, hey, we're here, boom, and, and just start interviewing and bragging on what's going on. When you have your next big thing going on, we're out there and getting the news and everybody out there to highlight what's happening. So pray for us on that as we're pursuing that. People ask me all the time, well, where's your church? Guys, my calendar is booked for this year already every Sunday. It has been like this for 20 years. I'm already filling in for next week. I'm not bragging on that. All I'm saying is every Sunday I'm in a different church. Today I've been in two churches this morning and now with you guys now. And then after this I got another outreach I got to go do. But the idea here is just pray for us. Pray for us. Now, last July... In the middle of all the outreach, in the middle of everything that was going on, I got hit with COVID. And I was doing big outreaches that Saturday. I did a wedding on Sunday in Mill Creek Canyon, the nerve of those people. And made me hike in a suit up to their beautiful location. And it was hot, man. And I got up there, and I wasn't feeling okay. And I got up there, and I told them, look, I'm just going to stay away. And I did. I just did the ceremony and left. I can't, I, I'm tired, and I had to do camp the next week. I have, we run our own camp, and I was going to do camp the next day, I mean Monday. And so I called the guys. I said, go take them. We had about 100 kids. Take them, camp. I'll catch up with you guys. My wife had that little device you put on your finger to check your oxygen, and sure enough, that thing was on there. I'm looking at it. I'm just drained. I'm looking at it. Now, if it's 95 or above, it says you're healthy, you're fine, you're breathing good. But if it's 90 to 95, it's basically saying, take a deep breath, get some oxygen. If it's in the 80s, especially low 80s, it says, breathe, dummy. You know, and so, but I was 72, and the alarm went off on the thing. I didn't know I had one. I thought my finger was going to blow off. You know, it's like, whoa, it's dee, 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 dee. I'm like, this thing's about to go. She goes, we're going to the hospital. Now, we live in Ogden. And so it was like, we're going to the hospital. I said, no, no, no. You know, knucklehead me. No, no, no. I'm okay. Let me just rest. I had no clue I had COVID or anything. Sure enough. See, here's the thing. 
I haven't been sick in 15 years. The last time I, not even a cold. The last time I was sick was I got hit with a virus doing an outreach and I got put in the hospital. My kidneys were shutting down. My liver was shutting down and my heart enlarged. And I was on the operating table for them to relieve the pressure from my heart. And they took the vitals and they looked at it and they said, okay, he's really bad. Let's get this open. I was hurting so bad in my heart. And the next thing you know, they go, let's do the vitals again. Double check to see if it's gone down. Not only did it go down, it went down really far. They go, you got me the wrong chart. I'm looking at the guys yelling at each other like this. You got the wrong chart. So they did the vitals again, and it matched the second one. And he goes, you're perfectly fine. I wasn't hurting anymore. And he goes, you could get off and put your clothes back on, because I was literally prepped for surgery. And he said, I don't understand this. You're, the readings on your vitals, you've got the liver of a of a 17-year-old and the kidneys of a 20-year-old. Your heart is like a 14-year-old. And I'm just looking at him, and me being me, I said, uh, sounds good, but am I going to have to go through puberty again? I did not have a good experience with that. And he's like, no. I'm like, hey, praise God, all right, this is good. I put my clothes on, got, walked out of there. My wife and I went to IHOP and had pancakes. You know, and so... It was like mind-blowing. I had not been sick since. And then I got hit hard, and literally on a ventilator two days later from doing outreach. I was loading and unloading 50-pound bags of potatoes and onions into one of our trucks, pallets of it, doubles. Man, I was doing it. I've always been a big guy. I've always weighed over 300 pounds. If anyone that's known me here the longest will be Candice, we see, bro, you've known me a long time since you were a little one. And so it's been one of those things where I've always been over 300 pounds. Hey, I worked hard for this, okay? I enjoyed every meal. But in my early 20s to mid-50s, no problem. But after what I've gone through, I lost 40 pounds in that month in the hospital. They had my hands tied because they were afraid if I woke up, I would rip the thing out. So the whole time, my hands are tied. The whole time, I'm just getting worse and I remember um, August 19th. Now, I was out, but my wife documented everything. And they, she got a phone call from the hospital saying that, um, that I was getting worse and I was already uh, fevering for so many days, so high. They said, we're going to have to take the ventilator out and do a tracheotomy on him. And my wife started crying. Why the 19th is so busy and important for us? It's her birthday. She woke up to that phone call that if we don't do something, he's going to die. So I end up out. My wife is crying. She gets a phone call from a pastor that's very close, a mile away from the hospital. He goes, God just put it in my heart. I got to pray for Pastor Alfred. She goes, they won't let anybody in because of COVID. I can only go in myself for only two hours. They go, I, I got to see him. Just show up. Let's see what they do. They let him go in because they literally thought he was coming to do last rites. They thought I was dying, and they were going to let him come in. He's on this side. I'm laid out. My face is here. My wife is here. The crew, the doctors are all behind. And the next thing you know, they're walking out, and he looks at my wife, and he goes, I'm not going to pray for him like I normally do. I'm going to pray for him this way. And he looked at my body. Now, I'm out. He looks at my body, 
And he looks at me and he says, I'm speaking to your spirit, man, Alfred. Live in the name of Jesus. Get up and rise. My body started shaking so bad. I had been out completely. My body started, they, this is what they told me. So much so that the alarms went off and all the things that the doctors all ran in, code blue thing. They all run back in. He finishes his prayer. Now, I had been on a high fever for over a week. They said it's too long, him being that high fever. I wasn't diabetic when I went in, became diabetic while I was there. I was falling apart. And my body's shaking now. He said, it looks like I wanted to. I wanted to scream or jump out of my body or something, but I don't remember that. But they said that when he finished and left and the doctors did all they had to do, that within the hour, my fever dropped. And within days later, I got better. And 10 days later, they took the ventilator out. Okay, so praise God. When I woke up, they all were screaming, doctors, nurses. There had been so much death in there, so many people dying. I'm going to just say this. I'm not here politically at all. Vaccinated and unvaccinated, there were many people dying in there, fully boosted and no boost. You know, they were all, people were dying left and right. And it was just one of those things. And so it came to that place where they celebrated that I woke up. People, nurses, literally to tears because I woke up. Now, here's the thing. I lost 40 pounds in one month, but I wish it was fat, but it wasn't fat. It was all muscle. What happened was they said on day four, my immune system was like twofold. This side was like sharpshooters that went after COVID. And on day four, on the ventilator, COVID was gone. This side did its job. But this side of my immune system, you see, a lot of people may have thought, Oh, Alfred, he's a big guy, and uh, maybe his immune system was down. That's why he got hit so hard. On the contrary, my immune system was strong because I'm very proactive because of what I went through 15 years ago, very proactive because I'm around people every day and homeless all the time. I knew I needed to keep myself healthy. But what happened on this side of my immune system, they said it was like a tank brigade that went through and started cleaning up everything. And my own immune system went autoimmune aggressively and was attacking my heart and my lungs and attacked my lungs so bad that they had to keep me on the ventilator or else I would have stopped breathing. So it's literally like I was looking in the mirror, slapping myself all day, beating myself up. I was killing myself. And it was just this battle. I went to a forced sabbatical for seven months. In mid-February, they allowed me to get out and start walking around. I could walk maybe five minutes. That's why I'm holding on, guys, okay? Um, I could do what I can do, but it was gradual. It was slow. And it got to the place where the director from ICU, from the hospital calls and says, would you please come and explain to the doctors what's going on? And there were two of us. They said, if you were just hit with COVID, you would have uh, had a 50% chance of survival. But because you were hit with Delta, you were a 25% chance. If it was Omicron, 75% chance. And they haven't got the stats out with the new variant that's out now. It's just starting. But regardless, I had Delta. And they said, you, you shouldn't have made it. They said, what you dealt with and what you went through, they had me on high doses of fentanyl. 
to relieve the pain I was on. I remember when they said to me, you, you are going to deal with some major hallucinations. Well, obviously, that's what drugs do to you, especially heroin, fentanyl. And it's to that place that they had me so drugged up because of all the pain that I was dealing with. And when the doctors, they said, they want to talk to you. They want to find out how you made it. They want to find out how the other guy got it because he was all three vaxxes and a booster and he was worse off than I was. How did he get it? It was just questions they had. So let's say you're the doctors and the nurses. I wanted to find a way how I could thank the doctors because once they're done with you and discharge you, it's like you can't go back in. I go, what do I do, send donuts? I mean, how do I thank them, you know, for what's saving my life? But here's my chance. I thought there'd be about 10 or so, the ones that helped me. And I thought well, maybe him, maybe 20. There was over 80 doctors and nurses there for one hour. I let the other guy go first because he was worse off. He went first and he shared. And he took 10 minutes. And I'm like, oh, okay. I had 45 minutes. And I asked him, how restricted am I? Because I respect the idea of understanding, you know, if I'm in a business setting. I do public school assemblies. I've spoken in every high school here since 95. Before COVID, I was averaging 40 presentations a year. The last high school was Roy High School, right before COVID hit. 2,000 kids talking to them. So I understand how to be able to share the good news in that fashion. I thought, am I restricted? And they said this. They go, this is not a sanctioned meeting. Everyone's here volunteer. You can say whatever you want. And I went like this, literally. They all saw me. And so you're the doctors. I had 45 minutes with them. I'm just going to share this part with I started off by saying, I believe I'm made of body, soul, and spirit. My spirit is being cared for because there's so many people praying. And again, thank you for that. Not only praying for me, but they're praying for you. Tears started coming down. Nurses and doctors were saying to me after, they had never heard that before, people praying for them. I go, there's so many people praying for you right now. And then I said, my soul, that's my family and friends, my heart and my emotions, and I know they're there for me. But my body, that's where you come in. And because of you, both of us are able to come and say thank you. I understand there are many that weren't able to be saved, but we're here to say thank you. But I was in the hospital a long time. And some of you got so close to me like friends and family. And some of you came to me and actually said that you're actually praying for me. I said, who does that? But you guys. Who brings holistic type prayer and ministry to the whole body, but you guys. Man, by that point, we're all crying. And my job was there to cheer them up. And here I'm making them all cry. So I had to change it. I told some stories of some things that happened to me in there, which were hilarious. Okay, let me tell you one. All right, one. The drugs, I'm telling you, were crazy. And I said to them, I go, I dare you. Now you're the doctors again. I dare you to take the drugs you've given your patients. I go, I don't drink, smoke, or take drugs. But what you put me on 
man gave me some freaky dreams. I said, there was one dream that I needed assistance on the commode. And you had the nerve, you're still the doctors, you had the nerve to put an alarm system on the commode because you thought I was a risk factor, a, a flight risk. I'm going to run. I couldn't even walk. And they put an alarm on that in case I fell off. The nurse goes, are you okay? I'm okay. Don't move. Again, this is my dream. It did actually, things happen, but this was my dream. Okay, I hear the door close. Not the door to the bathroom, the door to the room. In my mind immediately, I'm going to run for it. So I get up and I look out the door into the room. She's not there. I go and I put the gown on. You know, you got to put it on like this. And I go and as I'm about to walk to the door, I look over on the shelf and in the shelf right there, there's a gladiator's helmet that my kids brought to me. Now, this is my dream. They literally didn't bring it to me, but I do have the helmet. In my dream, the helmet's there. And it was a gladiator's helmet. I'm like, Dad, you're a warrior. You're a fighter. You keep fighting. Keep going. And I look at the helmet. Anyone watch The Mandalorian? Okay, it's The Mandalorian helmet. Okay, so it's right there. And I look at that, and I look over to it, and I'm like, ooh, I don't want to leave that. So I get it, and now I put it on. Okay, in my dream... So am I going out? I'm looking out the door with the helmet, and I look this way, and I see the green exit sign. So now I am running. Okay, I couldn't even walk, but in my dream, I am running as fast as I can. But because it's a dream, I see myself running. Okay, it's a dream. And I see myself, and I realize, oh, no, I forgot to tie the back of the robe. So now I'm, yeah, exposing myself all the way, running. To, and I look, but the funny part was there was a big string of toilet paper flapping in the wind as I'm just going. And the nerve of you doctors, you jump me at the door and you knock me down and you screech my rear all the way back to my room. They're laughing like crazy. And then I'm laying on my bed and in my dream I say, I got to get off these drugs. I had them laughing. I had them going. But you know the cool thing was? We cried. We laughed. And they let me pray for them. That was huge. And from that moment on, I have not shut up about what God has done. Now, in the last moments of what I'm going to share with you, I shared with you physically what I went through and where I'm at. But there was a verse I wanted to share. Can you put that up? It won't be long, guys. Water's getting, it's going to start boiling. We've got to get you in there. And so Psalms uh, 41, verses 1 through 4. And so let's see if we... It's there? Okay, I was looking on the back screen. Okay, blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed, and his illness you restore him to full health. Verse 4, as for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me, heal me, for I have sinned against you. Now, verses 1 through 3 are what the psalmist is literally repeating back to God and saying to God, you said. Okay, I hate it when my kids say to me, Dad, you said. You, my wife, anybody. Well, you said. I'm like, oh, I know. Usually it's because I didn't do something. But Dad, you said. 
But God loves it when you say to him, you said. Why does he love it? Because that means you've put his word in your heart. And the psalmist is repeating back, you said. And when he's chewing on the words that's been said, he realizes in verse 4, I need to repent. Now, what I'm about to share with you, that was the first verse when I woke up and had somewhat of clarity. The first, I, I must have, I studied Psalms and Bible. I must have read, but this came alive to me now. Now, here we go. I shared with you what happened physically, but I believe we live in two worlds, the physical world and the invisible world. Now, the invisible world, you say, yeah, duh. Now, hear me. We actually have and we believe more in the invisible than we do the visible. We have more faith in it. I'm not talking about the Lord. Even the Lord addresses the issue. He says, you can't see the wind. You see the effect of the wind, but you can't see it. But we know it's there. Oxygen, gas, fumes. We could go on and on. Radio waves. Some of you have more faith than I do because you're so tech savvy on the internet. I'm still trying to figure out play. Which one's play? You know, which one's, I still don't get it. But, but my five-year-old does. He teaches me, you know, my grandson. But hear me. I mean, we believe in that internet. Some of you more than others. We believe in it. And in saying that, it's just to that place where I had to realize I have to repent. The reason I have to repent is because what I saw in my dream. Most of us forget our dreams next morning. Guys, I'm going to tell you straight out right now. I remember every moment while I was out for a month. And even I kept dreaming afterwards because of the drugs that I was on. Even when I got home, I was battling. I was dealing with terror. I was dealing with all kinds of stuff. Because... You just don't stop someone from taking the drugs. You got to wean them off. I had to go cold turkey on this. And to get off of that, it was hard. And, but the dreams, yeah, the drugs, it opens your mind. And the enemy attacks it when it's opened. But I felt I was living in Psalms 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I really believed. I was in this huge darkness valley, but at the same time, the Lord was there. I do got to share this. Listen, when I first went under and I said goodnight to my family, I didn't say goodbye. I said goodnight, I'm going, and I'm out. When I opened my eyes again, I saw a friend of mine who just got hit with COVID. His name was Charlie. Charlie was one of the leaders at Life Church over here on Bangor in 47th. And I taught a class next to his class on Wednesday nights. The church asked me, can you teach? I did. And Charlie, I performed his kid's wedding. It's like one of these things, close. Good buddy of mine got hit with COVID. But I see Charlie in my dream. And Charlie looks at me and he says, keep running, keep going. Don't stop. Keep running for him. And then, poof, he's gone. And now I'm looking at the Lord. Look at, I'm going to go fast on this, guys, because I know my time is up. I'm going to put this down if that's okay. Okay. I'm going to go like this, guys. Listen. Where the numbers are there that I'm looking back on that clock. As I'm looking back and I'm here, I'm looking at what I know. I'm talking to the Lord. 
And the Lord says to me, directly, clearly, I can't see his face. It's too bright. I know it's him. The presence of the Lord, I know it's him. And I'm, I'm just in awe that it's him. And I'm looking at him. And the first thing he says to me, don't look at him. Now, I know he wasn't referring to Charlie because Charlie was gone. But in my peripheral view, look at my hands. Right here, I cannot see my fingers. But I can see my fingers about right here. I'm focusing on the clock. And I'm looking. I can see here. So that means from here to here, here to here, peripheral view. I see every single one of you move. I can see all of you without staring at you. I'm focused on the clock. I'm focused on the Lord. And the Lord says, don't look at him because there was a guy walking towards me. And he had a suit. And he looked sharp dressed. And he's walking towards me. And he, and he says, don't look at him. God didn't have to say anything else because that was what he told me to do. Don't look at him. Why would he tell me anything else if I'm not listening to the first thing? But me, being the knucklehead that I am again, I have this conversation with God. But God, I could do this. God, I've done this with you before. God, I have your word. God, I have your name. Lord, let me do this. And so I did. This. Now look what's going to happen. Once I took my focus off him, Let's say that exit sign right there. And I go like this. My peripheral view changes. Now I'm focusing on the enemy. Not looking at you. I'm looking at the sign. Okay. <laughs> so I'm looking at the sign up here. And I'm looking at the enemy. And I battle the enemy. But where did I put God? Where did I put the Lord? But in my peripheral view. I'm not focused on the Lord. I'm focused on what I could do in the name of the Lord. And I could do this and I could do that. And I'm looking at him. But at the end of the day, because every day was like a daily battle. Every day was night and day, getting up, battling again. And before, I couldn't take no more. I go back to God. God, I'm sorry. God, help me. God, help me. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I, I look back to God. And I say, God, thank you. Sleep. Wake up. Again. And he says, don't look at him. And he's coming. Every day, I dealt with that. Every day, I took my eyes off God, and I battled, and I battled, and I did what I did until the 19th of August. It was the 19th of August that that pastor prayed for me up there, and it was the 19th that it was in my dream that I couldn't do it anymore because after so much battling, you see, my life was threatened every day. There was multiple times, and the reason why the devil hated me and hated you and hated every single minister and hated all of you is because we serve the Lord and we're reaching out to those that are hurting, and he wanted to stop that. Guys, what I saw dealing with human trafficking, what I saw on the streets, what I saw at the drum circle downtown at Liberty Park, what I saw with the homeless and the prostitution and all that was going on, and it went beyond that. My mind took me to Montana, New York. It took me to Vegas. I saw at the border of Mexico what was happening there. My mind flew all over the place, and God was showing me these things, and the enemy was trying to tear me down so many different ways. I saw some gross issues concerning cannibalism on a high end of people, celebrities. It was a crazy thing. You might say, that's conspiracy. That I just said when I'm sharing with you what was in my dream. And I'm battling. It got to the point that I was in a dead-end street in a cul-de-sac, and I just couldn't do it no more. And here comes the enemy again, and here comes the devil again. And I look to God, and I go, I give up. I can't do this no more. 
Guys, I, I'm not sure if you could relate. Have you ever been to that place in your life where you just can't do it no more? I, I, I'm done. <laughs> I quit. I just couldn't do it. And I felt caving in. And I was looking and the enemy was coming closer again. And then right in the peripheral view as I looked to the Lord, in the peripheral view on this side, I see two guys riding on a horse. Each of them on a horse. Two horses riding fast across this field. And one in front was shooting with a rifle. And the other one had pistols. And, they were, you know, I grew up with my grandpa. And I, I dreamt this. In my dream, I said this. I grew up with my grandpa watching westerns. So I looked at those two guys. Man, I go, that looks like John Wayne and Clint Eastwood. You know, really, I'm serious. That's what I said in my dream. If you ever seen True Grit with John Wayne, you remember what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. To, they were, the enemy was being scattered all in front of me, all in front of me. And they came and they rode up to me. And it wasn't John, John and Clint, but I'm looking at them. And it was the pastor that was praying for me above. It was the pastor and his son. And the son says, Dad, they're getting away. The pastor looks at me, my friend. I go, huh? He goes, you okay? Yeah, Dad, they're getting away. Boom, they take off. They're all gone. All these things are gone. And I'm looking at God again. And immediately, here comes that character again. And the Lord said what? Don't look at him. But this time it was different. It was different because of the idea. Oh, man, I hope you grasp this. In my day-to-day battle, I carried a lot of that on my own. It wasn't until the assistance of the brethren, the family of God, to come in and help and bear one another's burden that I shared and submitted myself, and they came and helped me. Now, the enemy's walking up again, and the Lord says what? Don't look at him. But now, I'm going to just tell you straight out, the Holy Spirit is faster than Google. That the Bible says, the Holy Spirit, if you put the scripture of God in you, he will pull it out in due time. He will pull it out when it's needed. And my mind quickly jumps to Genesis chapter 4. The story of Cain and Abel. The story of Cain and Abel. And God says to Cain, why are you angry? You see, his offering wasn't accepted. And God says, why are you angry? Why is your face telling me you're angry? If you'd only choose to do right, you'd be accepted. But because you choose to do wrong, sin is at your door and desires you. But you must master it. In my mind, I said, master what? Not in my dream out loud to the Lord. And guess who could read minds? He answers my I said, Master what? Master, to fix your eyes on me. The Bible says that. To fix your eyes. Why do you have to fix them? Because they're broke. <laughs> fix your eyes on the Lord. Now look, my chin is pointing that way. My nose and forehead are pointing that way. But he said, fix your eyes. Because he says, Alfred, even if you're looking at me or your body's staring at me, your eyes could... <laughs> now, how many of you, even in this time right now, you're like, okay, man, that dude is going long, and I got somewhere to go. You're thinking, your mind is somewhere else right now. Just stay with me for a minute. 
And the Lord said, fix your eyes. If you're going to master anything, master the ability to stay focused on me. Because if you stay focused on me, whatever in your peripheral, whatever you do with day to day, whatever goes on in your life, good or bad, you can handle it. But if I take my focus off and I put the Lord in the peripheral, then I'm going back to the things I was and I'm missing out what God has for me. I got to go back. Fix your eyes. But I'm not like all of you beautiful saints that those beautiful paintings of the saints of God that look at the Lord and go like this. You know, you see those paintings of Christians and there's butterflies and rainbows and glowing things, you know, all above them, right? No, 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 listen, listen, listen. That's not me. This is me. Fix your eyes on me. And the Lord knew I was saying that in my mind. I'm fighting this. So this is what the Lord says to me. There was a lot. And he says this. Don't look at your hands to see what you can do without me. And don't look at Jason's hands before you come to me to see what he could do for you before you come to me. And when you finally decide to come to me, don't look at my hands. Oh, man. Guys, I thought I was going to get the well done, thy good and faithful servant talk. I thought I was going to, I would even be Latino. I would have accepted, good job, mijo. You know, hey, come on in. I didn't even get that. I got a rebuke. I got a scolding. Guys, all I could tell you is that he just basically said to me through a verse that popped in my head. He was talking to me through his word. Second Chronicles 7.14. For those of you that know it, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked way and seek my face. face. Seek my face, not my hands. See what our relationship could be versus what you could get me, God. Oh, but I said, but Lord, 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 you know when I pray to you, I'm not just praying for me. I'm praying for our pastors. I'm praying for courageous church to find a building. I'm praying for this. I'm praying for that. He goes, I didn't say don't come to me. He goes, I know your need before you know your need. I go, when you come to me, when you come to me, look at my face. Have fellowship, relationship. Last thing, guys. I'm going to say this. It's not a new doctrine, but it's deep doctrine. What is it? It's this. He said to me, and this is what drove me to my knees. He says, Alfred, he called me by name. He goes, because I want to know you. I didn't want to hear that. Because I know where that's found in scripture. The Bible says that there will be many coming to him that day and saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. For we did this in your name, and we did that in your name. We went to church every time the door was open. We gave faithfully. We helped that poor kid. We did this in your name. And the Lord said to them, depart from me. Get away from me, you wicked person. I don't know who you are. I didn't want to hear that from the Lord because I want to know you. But he did call my name. He then, as I dropped to my knees, 
I forgot to tell you that the whole time in my prayer, in my dream state, my hands were tied like shackled in front of me. I didn't know my hands were tied to the bed the whole month. So I was bound the whole month physically and spiritually. But when I dropped to my knees and I repented, verse 4 of that verse, and I repented, what was my sin? But this, the Lord took me back to when I was in Bible college and to an old man preacher that walked up to the podium and did this. Didn't even say hello, greetings, God bless you. He just walked up. My sin was that I was too busy for God, that I didn't make enough time for God. God bless you. And he said, oh, man, talk about an altar call. We were all, oh, God. Why would I remember that from 40 years ago? I didn't think about it ever. And the Lord just, boop. You know what it was? It was basically this. He wasn't saying to me, don't do these things. He was saying, in comparison, how much time do you fret over the day, worry about the day, especially, and he said to me, finances, raising money, doing this, doing that. You worry, you stress, you put all that. You put more emphasis on, on fundraisers, more emphasis on coupons, more emphasis on discounts, more emphasis on budgeting. What, is budgeting bad? No, none of that's bad. But when I put more emphasis on that than my time with the Lord. Now, I spoke to the Lord. I speak to the Lord every day. But he goes, in comparison, our time together, in comparison, your time with money, thinking about Worrying about, he goes, flip it. He goes, and everything you're praying for will be following you. Didn't I just share that with you? It's like you're preaching to me the message I shared all my life to trust him. I'm just saying to you guys, I'm no different, man. It's a day-to-day -day struggle and battle. And now, semis? It costs a thousand bucks to fill that tank. I can't complain no more. I told my wife, I can't, we can't complain no more. She goes, I know. And it's hard to not worry about the bills, the collectors, the this, the food, the issues. All I can tell you is that I repented. And I ask God to forgive me. What I'm sharing with you today is part one of a four-sermon series. In the future, I may come back, I'll share part two. There's only one church that I've done all four. And we were all blown away with what we all just discovered through it. It's just unfolding more of the dream of what happened, what God said. But I got to tell you this. When I went to my knees and I asked God, and I was bawling like a baby, God, forgive me. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. My hands were free. And then when I opened my eyes to see the Lord again, I literally was opening my eyes in the hospital. When I repented, I woke up. I can't shut my mouth now. I know some of you are like, we got to go, Alfred. Can I pray with you guys? Okay, God. I thank you so much 
for this courageous church. Lord, you got to be bold to say you're courageous outright. And I love it. For you said to us to be strong and courageous. And Lord, I pray strength over this body. Lord, there's a big move that you've opened up for them. And we're excited about that. For that east side of Salt Lake and beyond, Lord, thank you for the church that opened its doors for them to meet on Sunday morning. That's a rare blessing. But God, right now, I pray blessing over this house. Folks, can we do that? I know next week's going to be a a farewell blessing, but can we do a pre-farewell blessing? Lord, we pray over Pastor Marco and Rebecca. Lord, it's exciting to see Lord Jason and Candace. Lord, as I've known her since she was a little one with her dad's church and part of the youth group and all the things we did. And to see Rebecca, Lord, who was a part of our youth group also. And to see these two beautiful women are now pastoring and part of a Spanish fellowship and an English fellowship. And I pray for Pastor Marco and Rebecca and their team that they grow strong and have multiple services. God, that they would, Lord, the reason this is moving on is because they're going to explode here even more. And they need the building. So thank you. Blessings over this congregation of Somos Vida. But Lord, now for Courageous Church, God, as they prepare for this next two weeks, that God, what you're going to do, we pray blessing, moving them, help them, direct them. But Lord, please keep our eyes on you. I know you can't force that. It's our choice. So we pray we choose to do the right thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.